Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Parent Survival Kit Podcast, from surviving to thriving in your household. My name is Gene Schwalen, and with me, as always, is my beautiful bride, Dr. Sonia Schwalen, pediatric psychologist expert, licensed psychologist, and nationally certified school psychologist. Today is episode three of Unplugged. First episode, we went through life or death. Second episode, we talked about... Um, being lost in New York. Being lost in New York. I got lost there for a second. <laughs> and today's episode is going to be also really, really deep. They've all been really pretty deep, but this one's going to be really deep. We're going to be talking about cyberbullying and sexting. Um, and so parents, we're going to really hit home on some things that a lot of us really don't want to maybe know about too much. But um, these are things that we need to discuss with our kids. We need to be open uh, to really what's going on in the world around us today. And these are some really big things that can have uh, a lifelong effect on our kids. So let's talk about cyberbullying first. And, and before we get to cyberbullying, let's talk about bullying. I mean, what is bullying? You know, when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about today, I thought about bullying. And I kind of remember that time in history. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where the word bullying became much more used in our just normal language. I think schools were becoming more aware of it. There were more campaigns starting up, you know, trying to fight the fight against bullying. And I think at some point, um, many people were even kind of scoffing at how often we were using that word, you know. So I can remember a time not too long ago, maybe just in the last 10 or 15 years, where everybody would say things, or a lot of people would say things like, oh, great, now, now they're calling that bullying, or now we're complaining that this is, you know, a form of bullying, and it was almost received kind of negatively. Do you remember that? I do. And, and when I think about bullying, I think about myself uh, in elementary school on the playground, you know, and, and that's when I saw some real bullying going on. Um, what did you, know, you see going on? Like, what? how do you even d define it back then? Kids picking on kids, boys picking on boys, girls picking on girls, people making fun of each other, uh, harassing one another. You know, it could be for all kinds of different reasons. Um you know, and, and if we're honest with ourselves and look back, I mean, bullying's been going on since the beginning of civilization. Um, but today with cyberbullying, it's actually got a much bigger effect and long-lasting effect than it ever has before for lots of great reasons we're going to talk about today. Um, so we talk about bullying. We talk about people calling names. Uh, I remember as a kid growing up also, uh, my, parent, my own parents would tell me, you know, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. And there's a lot of truth to that in, in some ways, but there's really not truth to that when it comes to certain types of bullying. So someone says, stupid, you're stupid, or you're this, you're that, I think what you mentioned, is that really bullying? Well, it can be. Um, but let's really dive deep into some of the things going on today with cyberbullying and what that looks like. Right, and I, I'm, I'm glad you said that. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think that's like a defense mechanism almost, right? Um, and we did hear that a lot. And kids, I don't know if they still use that phrase. Um, but I think it's important just to back you up, you know, in terms of realizing words can really hurt. And it's hurt people that even tend to hurt others. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit when it comes to really analyzing the difference between a bully and a victim here in a few minutes also. Okay. But let's talk about the definition of cyberbullying. So... You know, like you said, it's 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 really interesting because cyberbullying is one of those things that, you know, someone may not even be able to escape, right? 
So we know that right now, cyberbullying, just according to different research and studies that are out there, um, is happening to about 50 to 60% of teenagers out there. So it's, I think, you know, 50 to 60% of teens have reported that between the ages of 12 and 18 years old, they have experienced some sort of cyberbullying. That's huge. I mean, that's more than half of our kids today are experiencing this. And when we talk about what is cyberbullying, this is any bullying that takes place over digital means. So that can be cell phones. It can be the use of a tablet, um, sometimes in the gaming forum with chat rooms. And it just, it, it can happen really, like what it means is it's posting, it's sharing, um, it's putting messages out there. Yeah, so all uh, all across the different types of social media platforms, yeah. uh, and it can be it can be in all kinds of different forms as well. Exactly. So it's posts. It's it's maybe sharing things. It's maybe putting out negative or harmful messages to people. Um, it can be any n- false or just cruel content about someone or to someone. Um, and basically, it can even include sharing personal or private information about that person or people without their consent. Um, And later on in this segment, we're going to be talking about um, um, sexting as well. And that can be, that can turn into a form of cyberbullying. And people can be victimized even through that. Um, The content can also be very embarrassing for someone. It can be used to manipulate them. It can be in the form of threats. Um, we know that it can be name-calling, kind of like what you mentioned used to happen on the playground, can happen um, over the Internet now. And it can even include um, just, if, if we're not talking about sexual content or explicit types of messages, it can include other messages or photos that are being posted without someone's consent that, have, that are not sexually explici- explicit but still are there to embarrass the person. Um, so that's that's how we define cyberbullying. Uh, cyberbullying can also include at some time at some points the need for law enforcement to get involved. And so I say that we're not going to get too deep into that today, uh, but I just want people to know that. I mean, it's a serious enough issue where there are laws around this issue now, and almost every single state in the country mandates schools to um, involve legal enforcement or law enforcement somehow, some way, when the cyberbullying is extreme enough. Yeah, because it does, again, it it takes a toll on on kids these days in ways that we never saw before when we were growing up. So I want to go through a few stats really quick based on some recent research that uh, I found. This article was actually from September 2020, Originally posted in October of 2019, but updated also with some of the, some of the more recent research. So, um, what it shows is that seven out of ten students have experienced some type of cyberbullying before the age of 18 or by the age of 18. Okay, so that's even more than what I so just said. So 70 percent. Yeah. 35 uh, percent had sent a screenshot of someone's status or a photo just to laugh at them, and 61 uh, percent of people who reported or teens or kids who have reported cyberbullying. 61% said it was because of the way they looked or their appearance. And, and that's and that's huge. And we've talked about in other episodes about, um, you know, the thin ideal you, you talk about on your, on your Red Clinic podcast and just the way we should look, the clothes we should wear, fitting in, not fitting in. These are big, big deals. 
Yeah. And I mean, I'm really glad that you kind of alluded to the thin ideal because it's not just about, you know, the thin ideal when it comes to physical appearance. I think um, people can find something to target, even if it has nothing to do with weight or or being thin or not or whatever it may be. But that's a really good example for sure. It kind of makes me sad to hear that physical appearance is one of the main things that people target. I think I kind of knew that, but hearing it kind of just like tugs on my heartstrings a little bit. Um, so I know we talked about just different places that people will cyberbully. I just want to be real clear so parents can can kind of keep in mind, you know, if their child is on certain forms of social media to, to kind of look out, like know what to look out for. So um, some of the most common places that cyberbullying occur are Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. That's what the research is showing. And I know a lot of kids these days are using all of those domains, unless it's Facebook. I think younger kids think people who use Facebook are old. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> or at least that's what I've heard in clinic. <laughs> well, and that's the scary thing, too, is that it's not just one platform that kids really go to these days. They're using multiple platforms Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. There's been a lot of legal controversy regarding, you know, surrounding TikTok uh, here recently and whatnot. And um, so there's a lot of things that we have to be, uh, uh, you know, worried about, concerned about as parents. And uh, it makes it even more difficult because when it was just in the schoolyard, it's a little bit easier to manage. But now we've got all these different platforms, uh, text messages and whatnot. So all these different areas that our kids can be bullied or let's face it, our kids can be bullying somebody else. Yeah, and we'll get to that in a minute. So what you just said about the play yard being a little easier to manage, you know, that those are some of the other kind of special considerations about what, what cyberbullying is all about. You know, the fact that it's happening on digital platforms and online, essentially, right, um, means that teachers and school administrators and parents aren't necessarily always aware of it. And so it's a lot harder to manage because it's not just happening on the playground or during the school hours. And so that's another thing about cyberbullying is that kids who are being bullied are not able to escape it. And I know we alluded that, but essentially um, we alluded to that. But essentially what happens is when someone is being cyberbullied, they're having access to whatever someone else might be saying about them or to them 24 hours a day. So they don't, they don't experience any relief from the actual bullying. You know, back in the day before cyberbullying existed or before social media or the Internet was widely used, kids could, you know, leave school, you know, at 2, 3, 4 in the afternoon, and they could find some relief from whatever was going on at the sc- during the school day. Whatever's happening at the school day now follows them home if they are linked into social media. Yeah, that makes perfect sense also. In fact, one of the actual studies re- uh, revealed that 64% of victims who received an aggressive instant message said they knew the actual perpetrator from in-person ex- uh, you know, exposure or whatnot. Um, so a- escaping you know, the bullying is more and more difficult these days, and it even kind of goes back to gossiping, right? So now we can gossip a lot easier. So one of the things about cyberbullying that's really having a tremendous impact on kids is not just being bullied by one particular individual, but the shares, the likes, everyone else finding out about it, commenting on it, uh, sharing it with their friends, and all of a sudden, of course, it comes back to you. And now you're scared to even go back to school or you're dreading going back to school because everyone knows about the bullying and whatever was told about you. Right, and so that's another, I mean, serious consideration when it comes to cyberbullying is just how 
permanent the the messages can be or how permanent the effects can be. And so, I, you know, when I say that, I think of kids who have ended up and, you know, taking their own life because of experiences of cyberbullying. I think all of us have heard the news when those stories come to light. Um, but permanent damage isn't just that type of damage. It can be, you know, psychological damage that kids can experience because they've been cyberbullied. And then, like you kind of alluded to earlier a second ago when you mentioned it's not just the victim who essentially is um, affected by cyberbullying, the actual bully is too. So the person who's doing the bullying or the group of people who are are leaving a permanent record digitally, you know, essentially that digital footprint that can affect them in the future. So there are there are studies that show, you know, currently in today's day and age that college admissions, future employment opportunities, um, and other aspects of life are being affected by that digital footprint or the record that you leave behind online when you make certain posts and show the show your character and show how you treat others. Um, so that permanence, that damage that it can create is all around. It's not just for the person experiencing it, but it's also for the person who's doing the bullying. And so in a, in, in a little bit, we can talk about the damage that it actually causes to the victims, but also to the bullies, because I think that's really important. I mean, when we're parents, we are parents to all kinds of kids. And sometimes we don't want to hear that our kid might be the bully, but um, it's sometimes the truth and we need to face that. Yeah, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons why kids may bully. And, and a lot of times it happens because they're trying to fit in with a certain crowd. They're trying to, you know, um, be cool and whatnot and not really thinking about the impact it's going to have on the person they're actually bullying. But um, it, it does, and now they can be impacted as well. You know, and there's also, we talked about sticks and stones. There's also another famous saying that we heard growing up, uh, don't, you know, if you live in a glass house, you should not throw stones. And, and you know, ultimately what that means is, we're all also vulnerable to the same type of bullying. And if we were to be bullied, we'd also be emotionally uh, affected as well. So don't throw stones if you live in a glass house. These are conversations that I don't really hear about anymore. I don't hear these sayings anymore. Um, and these are things that we should be telling our kids. Um, just talking about do not bully, do not do these things. Um, and also, if you are being bullied, let's talk about these things. Right. And so let's let's talk about how to talk to them about it. Let's do um, it. So it's really important, you know, first for parents to understand that if you're suspecting your child is a victim of cyberbullying, to go and talk to your child about it. So, you know, that's kind of the more reactive thing to do. I love what you just said, you know, be proactive. I love being proactive. We all know that. I say that all the time. Um, and have those conversations ahead of time. So talking about the kind of person you want to be in this world, making sure that your child even knows what it means to be a bully, and asking them um, if you know that maybe they are a bully, what is their motivation for doing that? Um, but if you suspect your child is, is a victim of cyberbullying, keep in mind that that experience can create a, a numerous amount of psychological difficulties. So in many cases, being cyberbullied can be very traumatic for children. And over time, kids have exhibited signs of post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and depression. Um, because like we said, it's just one of those things that they can't escape. 
And so if your child is being cyberbullied, it is absolutely something to be concerned about and to be on high alert about because your child may need help and not know how to get that help. Okay, so with um, with that being said, if my kid's being bullied, what do we do? Do I go and, and confront the other parents if I can? Do I go to the school? Do I contact authorities? And then also... Uh, what steps do I help my child, you know, what steps do I take for my child to really kind of help them through this? Okay, so that's a lot of questions, and I'll try to do my best to remember everything. (laughs) I love it when you do that. Um, I think the first thing is, what can you do to help your child get through this? So, you know, realizing that cyberbullying can cause, like I said, a lot of fear. It can cause feelings of isolation and loneliness um, and helplessness in in some cases. And um, it can lead to, you know, having difficulty with developing um, healthy relationships. It can lead to children feeling like they're not good enough um, and should kind of stay away from the in crowd. It can also cause problems in other areas. So you might see poor academic performance or more school avoidance behaviors or just more shutting down behaviors. And so if you are suspecting that cyberbullying is something that your child is going through, absolutely go talk to them. First, you know, hear them out. Be curious. Ask them what's going on and listen intently so you can get, you know, your child's perspective on what the issues are. And after you speak with them about it, make sure that you also help validate them. Um, And validation is such a big word. And it, it can be really hard to remember to do, right? Because as parents, we we have our ideas about what we think should be happening or what we want for our children. And so it's, it's very easy for us to kind of step in and like solve the problem and fix it. Um, but validating is really about reflecting back and showing your child that you understand that this experience is hard for them and that you see that they're in pain and that you're their biggest advocate. Like you want to be there for them to help them get through it. And so, well, so so to that end, you also want to then make sure to follow up and let them know, hey, anytime this is happening, go ahead and make a record of it. So your child may not have thought to do this. And and I've I've seen cases where um, parents don't even think to tell their child this, but go ahead and show your child how to take a screenshot of of what they're seeing online um, and how to document um, cyberbullying. So basically they can take screenshots, they can send the URL of wherever the, the post is, is on, so whatever forum that is, um, and send it to you um, directly. They can forward things to you directly. But helping them to document that and keep a record of it is really important. Yeah, and I was going to jump in, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. But uh, if we're doing also our part, which we've talked about in the previous two podcasts, if we're following our kids on all of the social media platforms and whatnot, if we're doing cell phone checks randomly, we can uncover a lot of this, you know, up front as well um, to where we can actually help our kids navigate some of these things. And it's really important to do so. I know as a parent, sometimes, uh, you know, there's parents out there that, you know, don't worry about that. They're just mean kids. It doesn't mean anything. You know, you're bigger than this and whatnot. And that happens a lot, too, and that's not the validation kids are really needing. Um, And we see it in movies where there's isolation or kids are going to find another group of kids they're going to actually hang out with, and they may not be the best uh, set of kids, uh, you know, looking out, you know, outwardly in. 
Um, so it's important to really make sure that we are having those conversations with our kids, validating and, and let them know that we are here for them. And again, as you said, they're our biggest advocate. And I love that you said that because in the two previous episodes on this series, we did absolutely talk about uh, being so involved to the point where you are regularly randomly checking up on the kids and following them on social media, putting different kinds of limits to um, how long they're even using the devices, uh, what kinds of apps they can be downloading or social media platforms that you're going to allow them to be on. And so that this is just a natural extension of that. Um, establishing the framework of, hey, we're just involved in this aspect of your life like we are in any other aspect of your life. And so we're going to have conversations with you about this also. Yeah, and we're going to also, to follow up on these episodes, we're going to send out some great resources that can really help all of us as parents, you know, really kind of navigate uh, where, our our, where our kids are going, um, you know, some apps that help us kind of monitor uh, where they're going, what they're looking into, and all that too, so... Yeah, so more resources to come for sure. Now, part of your part of your um, really long list of questions was, you know, do we go to law enforcement for that? I think that's what you asked. And so, and to the schools. Um, and to the schools. So after you go to your child, so going to your child should be the first thing that you do um, and having that conversation. And then it is highly recommended that if you're suspecting cyberbullying or now you have confirmation of it because you've spoken to your child about it, that you do go to the schools. As I mentioned earlier, um, almost every state in the United States has laws, you know, mandating that school administrators act upon any report of cyberbullying. And so going to the school administrators is important just to alert them to the fact that one of their students is engaging in cyberbullying and they kind of have protocols in place for what they need to do next. Um, this is not really common as a recommendation like out there. Like I, you know, if you if you go search up, hey, what is cyberbullying? What are you supposed to do? I'm not really finding this recommendation that I'm about to give. So it's also really important to know that most public schools in the United States have a mental health person on staff. And most private schools now do too. And so usually that person is, you know, the school psychologist on staff or the, the designated mental health person who can help in these situations. And so I highly recommend that you also get that person involved. You just let them know what's been going on. You ask them to monitor your child during the day. But then you also let them know who you think the bully may be so that they can monitor that child as well. Um, in extreme cases... It's always recommended to get law enforcement involved because if you think your child's safety is of question, absolutely do what you need to do from that perspective. Um, but the last part of your question was, do you go to parents of the bully? And so I think if you were to kind of poll um, listeners, they would probably be straight down the middle split on this issue. There might be some parents who say like, yes, absolutely, we need to get them involved. Why wouldn't we want to have a conversation with them? And then other people who would say, oh, no, it's worthless, it's pointless. Like, you know, why would we even want to open that can of worms? Um, from the psychological perspective, I'm going to actually recommend against it. So I don't, I don't recommend going to the parents of the bully before any of these other steps are taken. Um, that mental health professional that, that you get involved, and hopefully it's someone from the school, who can keep tabs on the bully and kind of understand who that person is. 
they may that student that bully may have a history already and the school personnel are going to know about that the other thing to keep in mind is that hurt people usually hurt others and that you know sounds kind of cliche and i know that you know parents have tried explaining to children like this isn't your fault and this is that who knows the bully may not be treated well in their own home but as a pediatric psychologist with that specialty I see over and over and over again that a child is a reflection a lot of the time of what's going on in the parent-child relationship. And so because of that, there is that concern that the bully may be having a hard time at home. Okay, like that is a very legitimate concern. And I'm not saying that's all the time, you know, because in some cases people bully not because they themselves are being bullied or hurt in any way, but maybe because they just want attention or they're afraid of being rejected by the popular kids. I mean, there's other reasons why kids bully. But because that reason, you know, that the bully may be someone who is being hurt at home is a potential reason, I always say don't go to the parents. Okay, we want to protect kids, even if it is a bully that we're trying to protect. We have to remember there's still a child. And just as much as we're advocating for our child, in a way, if we can advocate for that child and get someone involved, I think we've done a really great service. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and you never know what response you're going to get from the other parents either. It reminds me of um, a Christmas story, you know, and you've got the, the bully and the Christmas story and... Um, Little Ralphie says a bad word. Mom, you know, hears it and whatnot and takes him home, gets him in the bathroom with the bar of soap. And where did you hear this from? And, of course, he wanted to blame it on the bully because he doesn't like that kid. But the response from the bully's mom is just outrageous. I mean, she starts just going wild and hitting and slapping and yelling. And it's like you never know what's going to happen at this other kid's house right. based on the environment that he's in or exactly she's in. Exactly right. I love that example. That's a really good one. Yeah, and there's, you know, when we're talking about cyberbullying, again, having conversations with our kids, following them on, on what they're doing, doing the phone checks, looking at text messages, because we also want to make sure, again, as we mentioned earlier in the, in the episode, that what are our kids saying to other kids about other kids? Because sometimes, again, kids just want to fit in, and they'll do something just not thinking about it. Um, so one thing that I like, having those conversations is very important uh, on, on both sides. And one of my favorite Bible verses is Proverbs 22, 6 where it says, start children off in the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And uh, I think that's very, very important that we really focus on with our kids. And, and you know, it really starts there, is in, in the family setting, in with the parents, you know, kind of having some values and lessons that they're trying to teach their child, and it's really never too late to start that, you know. So we're talking about right now teenagers ages 12 to 18 years old because that's who cyberbullying generally affects um, and, and so I even if you're starting just right now between that age range, it is totally still going to benefit your child. It's never too late. Right. Never too late. And, and there's a lot of adults, studies show that adults are getting harassed, uh, and, and bullied online as well through social media platforms, through texting. Um, so it, 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 it's out there all, you know, regardless of, of age, it's out there. Um, and conversation is very important and it's going to be even more so important as we get to this next topic when we're talking about sexting um 
So is there anything else you want to you want to close with with cyberbullying? Uh, I just want to put out some resources, you know, that I I trust when it comes to cyberbullying, just so parents know that they're out there. There's a website called stopbullying.gov. There's some really good information on there, um, just some tips for parents and and uh, families on how to kind of approach this issue with their children. And then um, there is actually a cyberbully hotline, so it's called the cyberbully hotline. And so if you're ever dealing with that stress in the moment and need resources right away, that's a, a, a website link, and it's also a hotline that you can call to get some good information. Yeah, and when you're seeing your kids being bullied or you find out about that, you know, what you may see may not seem, you know, too bad, but we don't know also what's going on prior to this as well. So it could be kind of a string of things too. So um, let's just be very, very mindful of what our kids may be going through. All right, so we're going to get into sexting now, and this is going to be really um, some great information for parents. And, and even with cyberbullying, as we get into sexting, the stats for cyberbullying are going up each and every year. The, the number of people who are being affected by cyberbullying is increasing year after year, and it has for the last several years they've been monitoring this. And the same thing is going on with the sexting stats that I'm going to go through here in a moment. Um, these are ever-increasing yearly. Um, so we've got to do something now to start making some changes and get these stats going down. So sexting. So in the U.S., recent research shows that one in four teens have engaged in sexting. And that means they've sent some explicit messages or, or whatnot with regards to sex. They've sent images. They've requested images uh, and whatnot. There's a study that was done in 2015 in Australia, which um, – there's a lot of uh, a lot more government that has been sh uh, been uh, I, I guess um, launched in Australia, and there's a lot of government um, research that's been done um, for a long, long time. So I think these numbers are really actually more accurate um, because of the research and the actual laws in place. Um, they actually um, track all the different types of sex things and age groups and whatnot more than we do in U.S. Um, so in, the, in Australia, back in 2015, the stats were that one in two teenage boys and girls have used a mobile device to send sexually explicit images of themselves. And this is according to the biggest sexting survey undertaken in Australia. And that is just, I mean, that's just mind boggling. One out of two teenage boys and girls has, have sent explicit images, not just messages, but images. Um, there's a lot of research that wouldn't question teenage girls are using their mobiles to send sexual images of themselves because they think it's fun and sexy rather than because they feel pressured by boys based on new research also. So it's a way to kind of express themselves. Um, and then there's a, a, some other stats, and there's some websites out there that are really kind of disturbing. It's like th these are some fun, the 15 exciting sexting statistics and facts to know in 2020. I mean, what kind of website is this? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of wild, but to start off, eight in 10 adults aged between 18 and 82 admit doing it at least once. 62% of millennials sex at least once a month, while 48% do it at least once a week. I mean, that's real, real mind-boggling stuff there. Um, and a lot of times, based on research, it's not even between uh, couples. So this is talking about adults. Um, there's been actually... Uh, there's been a, a sexting scandal that's been unveiled here recently with a member of Congress, uh, of the Senate, um, and he was sexting with another woman. Both of them are married, um, and, and so this stuff does happen. So it's happening in adults, so for sure it's happening with kids, right? Um, 
So we need to understand this. So it's not just kids, it's also adults. And how do we navigate this and how do we talk to our kids? Um, so this is going to be very important things to understand. So what do you, uh, what do you have to say about sexing? Well, so when we bring it back down to the child population, I just want to throw out there that the peak age for kids to engage in sexting is between the ages of 16 and 17 years old. And then we do know that it kind of continues into young adulthood. So it's kind of like what you were mentioning with the millennials, you know, doing it on a regular basis. And then we actually see it drop off once those young adults become a little bit older. So, you know, once they become more settled in life or maybe into marriage or whatever it may be, we see the that behavior drop off. So around 16 to 17. And so this is really for parents who have, you know, older kids that may be experiencing this, but also for parents who have younger kids, because we're going to talk about, you know, how to address it with teenagers in that age range that could be doing it right now. And then also how to be proactive and get set up for what's to come. <laughs> All these great things that we have to look forward to, right? <laughs> As yep. parents of young kids. Um, so, you know, reasons why kids may engage in sexting. So when we're talking about that age range, and, you know, I want to even expand the age range because I do know it happens earlier than 16 to 17. So let's just talk about that, that range of 12 to 18 years old. Yeah. And it's also just, you know, I've got some examples too, to give. Yeah, that'd um, be great. So I remember that uh, our, our son, when he was in fifth grade, he got an image sent to him by, uh, girl that he was talking to or he was friends with in middle school. Um, and it was a very, very explicit image. So a 10-year-old sent that. Over. So basically so a 10-year-old. Yeah, it happens younger than and it was like to think. a girl actually reaching out to a boy. Right. And it was, the, it, was, it was the most explicit kind of image that you can send. So let's just put it out there. Um, and, it, it, I mean, what do you do? So our son actually sent an image back of his abs, you know, that's what his response was. So thank goodness it was nothing else. Um, but again, he didn't know what to do. And, and, and who would have thought that a fifth, in fifth grade, you're going to have girls soliciting this kind, these kind of things, you know, from boys. Um, so the first thing that we did, is, as, or the first thing that I did is I went to the school. Well, I had a conversation with, with him, obviously, but I went to the school, let them know, and they actually reached out to the parents of the girl, and they handled that. So we didn't have to have any uh, conversation with the other side. Um, which made it a little bit easier, um, and, and they took care of it on the school side. So that was actually very, very helpful. And then we had to have some serious conversations with our son, like you know, what do, you know, what does this do for you? What is you know these these images are out there. There's digital footprints of these images, um, and also what kind of what kind of boy or man do you want to become? You know, who are you? Uh, who do you want to become? We talked about Jesus a lot in our household, uh, and then I talked to him also about you know how do you respond to these things? And, and, and I told him, you know, when you respond, you should respond. You know, these are very, very um, serious things that you're sending, serious images that you're sending, and these things can haunt you for the rest of your life. So if you actually say, look, you know, this can affect you. I don't want you to send these to me. This can affect you. These can affect me. Um, you know, it can affect anything we do in the future. Um, he, he really understood the, the impact it could have. Well, and I remember, um, I think part of that conversation was about what kind of person does he want to be in this world in terms of uh, how he contributes to the way women are viewed. So I do remember that. And, you know, I think there was some, some guidance in there of, you know, you're much more than this, like, objectification of yourself. I see you as much more. You're, 
you're a, a whole person to me um, and I respect you in that way and I want you to be able to respect yourself in that way. Can you imagine what this life would be like <laughs> if we were all responding like that to each other in those crucial moments when when people are putting themselves out there like that? Um, and so th those are, you know, great conversations to be having with kids and you had to do it, you know, with him in the moment because it was happening so early, much earlier than we ever thought it would happen. Um, and so that's kind of like, okay, we're dealing with it in the moment. How do we deal with it? And, I, and it's so nice that the school stepped up and it's so nice that the parents, you know, dealt with the little girl on their end the way they needed to. Now, obviously, the pediatric psychologist in, in me is saying, well, how did that little girl know to do that? You know, is, is she in danger? Is there something else going on sure. in her life? Um, and again, that's exactly what I'm getting at with um, making sure to get some kind of administrator or mental health professional involved anytime anything like this is happening. So cyberbullying or even sexting amongst kids because these are things that kids pick up and learn from others, either from each other or from the adults in their life. Well, and we know that this is happening younger and younger. I mean, there's a... a, a a, a huge number of kids as young as age uh, seven that are actually getting images and, and pornography and whatnot exposed to them that we talked about a couple episodes ago. Um, and a lot of this stuff happens because kids these days, well, first of all, they're getting devices way younger than they really ever should. I mean, you know, five, six, seven years old, they're getting devices. They don't know how to navigate these things. They know how to use them really well, better than us, but they don't know how to navigate the things that are actually coming across and whatnot. Then you have kids at home, that may be younger that have older siblings and you know we've seen it also just in different in, in different arenas that you know older kids are looking at TikTok and, and instagram and they're looking at pictures of boys or girls and whatnot they have bikinis on or they have the shirts off of their boys and um you know they're just summer crushes you, you can say but little kids are seeing these things too so there's all kinds of ways the younger kids can be actually exposed to it that we're not even really being very mindful of. So who are our kids around? Um, who's using devices in front of our kids, around our kids, even if it's our own older kids? Right. And so always, always keeping that in mind is that, you know, kids are exposed to numerous images a day just because they have access to devices and social media, right? And so... So let's get back to the reason why maybe a teenager or uh, a younger um, adolescent or even school-age kid, <laughs> might um, might send an explicit image or request one. So a lot of times it's out of curiosity. And this is a lot of the things that we work with families in my clinic in terms of opening up discussions in like the family therapy or the parent training sessions is, is asking parents the question, you know, these are real issues in today's world. Would you rather that your child hear from you about them or from all the other resources out there that they could get information from. All the other experts, right? Right. And so that's social media. That's their friends in chat rooms. That's their friends at school. Um, it, it's all these other people that are going to help them understand how to think about a certain topic if we as parents don't do it first. And so even though it's so hard and so awkward and just so foreign to some people, to some parents, it's still absolutely something that you need to go towards. And you have to go towards it over and over again until it just is a normal part of how you parent. So curiosity. 
And, and with curiosity, really quick also, I mean, for those who have very, very young kids, um, and even those who have older kids that are going to have kids, this is something really good to know. We see so many times that kids do not know the proper terms of our body parts. And because parents are scared to say the words penis and vagina and things like that, starting that out at a very, very young age kind of gets rid of some of that curiosity um, and whatnot, things we don't, we don't have to hide so much. You know, we can just be out and open about that in a proper way. Um, eliminates a lot of curiosity down the road. Right. And I mean, it's just it's just a label of anatomy, right? It's just the same as your finger or your nose. And, and kids learn at a very young age, like what where their nose is. So they should also understand other body parts and the proper name for it. I highly recommend that. Absolutely. And there's a lot of great books out there also that we um, that we recommend that we'll put out there for some resources too that start this out at a very, very young age. So. Right. And so starting young is awesome if you can, but if you're also parenting a teenager and, and you're just in it right now, knowing that kids are doing this just because they're curious is important to know. Another yep. reason why kids do this is because they may feel pressured to do it. And so that's really important to understand. Where is that pressure coming from? And so a lot of times when kids feel pressured, it's because maybe someone started it. You know, maybe they sent the picture first, like in the case of our son, and then they felt like they had to send something back. Um, so that can be a way that people feel pressured. But then it's also pressure that they may not feel from someone directly sending a message or an image. It could just be what's cool if you want to be friends in our group. So, you know, boys or girls may be bragging to their other friends or even just showing their other friends like, look what I got last night or, you know, look what I have on my phone. I have this, you know, message from so-and-so and this is, you know, what they sent me. Or, you know, maybe everyone in the group has one now, like has received a sext or has uh, sent one, and your child may be the only one who hasn't. And so in order to fit in, or if it's kind of like the cool thing to do, or it's the in thing to do, it's, it's very easy to kind of give in to that in order to feel like it's normal. I'm just doing what everyone else does. And if we don't develop those critical thinking skills in our children, they are more likely to just go along with what the crowd is doing. Yeah, and what I want to tell parents uh, today is that a lot of kids are doing it, you mentioned, because of pressure. There's actual research that shows that there definitely are some situations where there is pressure involved. And, and again, the social pressure is definitely probably one of the biggest ones. Not so much pressure from a boyfriend or girlfriend, but more social pressure would be the, the probably the biggest reason. Uh, my friends are doing it. Everyone else is doing it. It's no big deal, right? Uh, experts show that most teens that are doing sexting or, or uh, getting into sexting is doing it because they're exploring their sexuality. Um, and scientists are suggesting that today sexting is just kind of considered to be more of a regular part of sexual development and behavior as kids are exploring their sexuality. There's some research that shows that for teenagers, um, that 63% of teenagers are doing it just to be funny or flirtatious. 43% report they do it as a present for their partner, okay, like a birthday gift or whatever else, um, and then or to get somebody's attention. And 25%, um, I'm sorry, 25% say it's just to get somebody's attention for a crush they have. And then 24% say they actually just do it because it just makes them feel sexy. And these are actually teenagers that are reporting these things. Yeah, and so everything you just went over kind of gives like this huge overview of all these underlying issues that may be a reason why someone chooses to do this. So 
pressure is some of it. Maybe, you know, feeling a better sense of self-worth or self-esteem can be part of it. So these are all underlying issues that absolutely have that like psychological contribution to it. And that brings me to how how much psychological stress this can actually cause for teenagers. So we know that when kids are engaging in sexting, they tend to feel extreme distress around it because now there's this worry of what will happen if I get caught. I really hope that they don't share that with anybody. Um, it can be extremely risky to do it, and it's still it's still something that teenagers will do because we know that they're more prone to giving into high-risk behaviors, right? Um, but the stress that it can cause, not just during, you know, because there might be kids in the moment who kind of know they shouldn't because their parents have done um, enough talking with them and they still do it anyways, but the aftermath of that has also been studied, just the emotional distress it can cause because kids are now afraid of, being caught or what if something happens that's super embarrassing and and kind of destroys my reputation. Yeah, and some of these things, these images that are out there that can prevent, you know, future goals and whatnot or make it very difficult to, to reach future goals. Um, so let's talk about some of that also. Um, when kids are sending pictures or images to each other, um, there's a lot of legal issues that actually uh, surround sexting um, that parents really need to know about because I didn't really know about all of these either um, until doing some of this research. Um, there definitely is some peer pressure um, that can revolve around sexting. So when you send an image, I can pressure you to send more. Otherwise, I'm going to show my peers, you know, right. and so that's also a form of cyberbullying as that's well. That's exactly right. Um, there's extortion as well. So if you don't do what I want you to do, I've got these images. I can hold it over your head. These are real life things that are going on. Um, there's revenge porn also that if you don't send me more, I'm going to share this. Or there's all kinds of ways of looking at all these things that kids are actually having to deal with a, a lot. And it's uh, if, if you've got teenagers, there's there's a, a report that shows that, you know, we got to move beyond abstinence only. And I, and I think that it, it's, it's sad that we have to say that in society, but sometimes you're already there, right? If we already got teenagers, these things have already been going on. Um, and it really takes really having um, some real heart-to-heart uh, -heart conversations with our kids, but in the appropriate way to we talk, we, we give them knowledge, we talk to them about what's going on. Let them be the experts in the room because they know what's going on from their side of things and the pressures they're feeling. And then we can talk to them and create some of those, as you mentioned, critical thinking skills of how to navigate this moving forward in the future. If your kids are not involved in sexting, developing these conversations now is very important to also develop these critical thinking skills. If your kids get a, gets a sex or an image or a request for one, it could be a boyfriend or girlfriend they really like. How do your kids say no? Sometimes in the moment, it's really hard to n understand how to say no to somebody without looking like an idiot or feeling like you're going to be the biggest dork or whatever it may be. Um, so having your kids understand these things beforehand and being prepared for that is going to be very beneficial also. It is. And then that also, you know, leaves space for your child to come to you and say, hey, this happened. Can you help me? How should I respond? Or I'm feeling really upset because I don't want to seem like a loser, but I also know I don't want to send whatever they're asking me for. So how do I reconcile this? And and helping kids develop even what they're okay with and what they're not okay with is just a way to talk to kids. Hey, let's talk about boundaries. Do you know what boundaries are? Boundaries are things that you're okay with and things that you're not okay with. Let's write them down. Let's go over this. So once your child and you are able to come up with that list, 
And that can be anything, you know, I'm okay with, um, having sleepovers with my friends because it's fun, but I'm not okay with, um, with, uh, someone coming over and calling me names. You know, it's, it, it's like that simple to make a list of, of just, you know, the things in your life, you know, academically, socially, um, whatever it may be. And then once you've made those lists, ask your child to kind of go back to it and say, does this fit? You know, is there something happening here that you said you wouldn't be okay with? Because if it is, let's address it. Because whatever you have established as your boundaries is okay. Yeah, and I think that's very important also for um, talking about relationships because it's a sexting, right? So more times than not in teens, just, just to be clear, it's about 64%. Um, the sexting and, and whatnot is between boyfriend girlfriends. So that's, that's good to know. It's 64% is kind of low for me, but... It is good to know it is between boyfriend and girlfriend, typically. Um, but what are your boundaries around relationships? What are you What are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? Um, what are you looking for? What are you not looking for? And these types of things are very, very important. Uh, I know that there's a, a book that uh, we gave to our daughter um, when she was like three years old called The First Kiss and how important that first kiss is. It's like a, it's a treasure. And just those types of things that we can talk about. Um, a, a good way for parents to go into talking or to bringing up the conversation about sexing, especially if you already have teenagers, is saying, hey, you know, I heard some research about, you know, there's a lot of adults that are doing this. Are, are you guys, are you seeing this? Are you seeing like, requests for this stuff? I mean, you can actually bring it to light in a, in a roundabout way um, using adults as an example and let your kids speak and say, you know, hey, let's, what's going on? Let's talk about this. And what are you seeing? And, and have you done this, you know, and I want this to just be open and, and talk about it. Right. And so approaching everything, like you said, uh, letting your child be the expert in the room because it is their life. It's their daily experience and it's really their story to tell. And then kind of going from there when you're dealing with the teenager, for sure. Now, one thing that we haven't mentioned, and I really want to because I think it is noteworthy at least, is is just safety around the Internet. Now, I know in previous episodes on this series, we've talked about, um, you know, kids being able to go on different social media platforms and even be able to talk with strangers. And so in this case, sexting can be very, you know, dangerous. It's they in some situations, they may not even know who they're talking to or who they're sending something to. And I'm not saying it's not ever dangerous. It's it's a very risky thing to do at any time. I'm just talking about when we're dealing with sexual predators online who are out there, you know, for the purpose of child trafficking and are interested in in victimizing your child. And so that's also something to be very aware of, very cautious of, to provide education on, um, and to not take it lightly if your child is being approached uh, digitally through whatever means um, by someone they don't even know. And, and then also talking to your kids about, first of all, not sexting, because we know there's just so many disadvantages to it if it's if it's happening. But then to be even extra cautious if they're being approached by someone they don't know online. Yeah, and you can even ask questions, you know, would, would you want your teacher to see this or would you want somebody that may be important in their life to see this because that can happen. You know, the, the big... Uh, uh, misconception a lot of kids have teens have is around snapchat even like you know i send an image and then it's gone it's it's it's, it's instantly gone and that's not true either and uh, and that happens a lot too and these images end up being you know produced somewhere else and whatnot so speaking of these images i want parents to understand also the legal ramifications of sexting 
So in the U.S., you can actually your kid can actually be um, uh, arrested and, and even uh, convicted of a crime for just sexting, uh, just uh, different requests and whatnot. So just by sending out messages and whatnot, there are actual laws regarding sexting that kids can actually be tried for. Um, when it comes to sending images, even more so to worry about if your child is sending an image or has an image that is considered to be child pornography, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no gray area. That is child pornography. And that is a felony conviction and kids are being convicted all across the country for child pornography. And then they end up being on the uh, sex offender list now as well. And that's a big, big deal. Um, and there's even some cases where, um, it can actually be child sexual abuse in different ways and whatnot, depending on the level of sexing that's going on. Um, so these are big deals. There's kids going to jail for a long, long time because of just sexing and they thought it was harmless. Well, and they, and they may not have even, like you said, known any better. Um, and so that's why it's just so important for parents to have those conversations. So we've kind of talked about some ways that parents can address it when it's happening with their teenager, you know, keep creating that open, safe space, allowing your teenager to be the expert on, on their story and tell it, you know, without any judgment. Um, but some strategies to kind of be proactive. So if your child's not really in that age range yet, you know, what are some things that, you know, we've done even in terms of helping have those conversations at a very early age? Um, so you've mentioned, you know, like books are really a great resource. Uh, the First Kiss book is a really awesome resource. It's a storybook for a child. And, you know, we started reading it to our seven-year-old when she was about three or four years old. And it's really about um, just protecting that first kiss and, and being very careful uh, on who you decide to give it to and, and why it's so special. You only get one. Right. You and, only get one. And, you know, the book kind of starts off with your parents gave you your first kiss, right? And now you have a first kiss to give away. And so it's, it's kind of special because it also talks about just the parent-child bond in that book. And it's more for girls, but it, 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 it's kind of like more of a fairy tale. So it looks kind of like a Cinderella type of story. It's actually really real well done um, and whatnot. And, and there's even for girls and, and there's other examples for boys too, but even for girls, like one thing we did for our daughter, I did for my, for our daughter is I gave her uh, a heart necklace that um, had a key. And so there was a necklace that I actually have that has a key on it that actually fits in the heart. And then she has the actual heart with the key missing. Um, and what I explained to her was, is that um, I'm going to actually hold the key to your heart. And one day, as you get older, or when you get older, and you find that special, special boy, he's going to have to come to me and ask me for that key. And if he is the right one, then I'm going to give him that key. Unfortunately, there'll never be the right one. But, <laughs> uh, but no, but really, it just but being intentional in different ways really helps and goes a long, long way with kids. And, and again, some of us have teenagers, and we do, um, and it's hard to navigate, but as much as we can start young, we have to do it. So one of my favorite questions to ask kids, and this is, you know, whether I'm doing a psychological assessment or even if it's one of my own kids, um, in conversation will be, hey, why do people get married? <laughs> and it is so fun to hear their responses because a lot of times I hear, I don't know. I mean, our own seven-year-old just told me that like three weeks ago when I asked her because I thought it was time to yeah, start so having what did those. she say? She said, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then I came to you and I said, she has no clue. We're not doing a good job. I think we should so. do an entire <laughs> podcast with just responses from kids doing research. Why do parents get married? That would be so fun. Well, so, I mean, I ask that question on assessment all the time, so I have it all right up here, but we can totally do that podcast. It would be really fun. 
So some answers that kids do give in clinic, so whether or not they're kids or teenagers, I mean, I hear everything. I hear uh, because um, it's cheaper for taxes. I mean, and so these are (laughs) things that kids are saying because they must have heard their parents say this, right? Or um, I don't know, because because, uh, you fall in love, people love each other, so they get married, or um, people get married because they want to have kids. I'm never getting married. I never want to fight as much as mom and dad does. So, I mean, just that question (laughs) alone, like, opens up so much. I love that question, though, when it comes to this overarching topic that we're, you know, discussing about who do you want your child to grow up to be? How do you want them to start thinking about what's important to them and what they're willing to do or not do in life? And who they want to hear it from. Right, and who do you want them to hear it from? And so, you know, parents, I want, like, your takeaway for this week, the thing that I want you to really think about is your your values in terms of why did you get married if you are married and what do you want your child to know about marriage well i got um, one more question on that too and what would your kids say right now today about your marriage yeah that's a great question because your marriage and your relationship or or even the co-parenting dynamic all of that is is like a real life model and really the only true example that they have of what, you know, a glimpse into their own future may be like unless we're being intentional about these conversations with our kids. Yeah, and there's a lot of single parents out there also that I want to just, you know, reach out to. Um, we are a blended family um, ourselves, but there's a lot of single parents out there that um, have kids that are actually having to deal with. And, and it's hard. It's hard with two of us. It's hard with two of us and having an expert pediatric psychologist. I mean, it's tough. Um, you know, and for single parents, you know, just giving your kids really, you know, what the dream really is and what that looks like and, and, and having those boundaries and learning from our mistakes and, um, and understanding, you know, what we do want and what we don't want, what we can, uh, deal with and what we can't deal with and, uh, and really go from there. All right. So I think that wraps it up for today. Sounds great. Well, uh, we thank you guys for joining us for the Parent Survival Kit Podcast, Unplugged, uh, Cyberbullying and Sexting. Uh, again, we're going to put some some uh, resources uh, out there for everyone. Um, but we are so glad you joined us today. If you have questions, comments, or you want to share your stories, please do so. Leave comments. We love hearing from our listeners, and we will definitely answer all the ones that do respond. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks so much.